Welcome to the Skeptic Wire. August 24th, 2011. This is episode 20 of The Skeptic Wire. I'm David Harcourt, joined as always by Gary Long. Hello! Greg Perrine. All hail Zenu. And Donna Swafford. Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It's boring today. We had a uh, some earth shake in this, uh, this week. Um, it's shaking. <laughs> and um, what could possibly have caused all that shaking on the East Evil. Coast? Well, of course. Yeah, I mean, I was part of the biggest gayest wedding this weekend ever. I'm sure that had something to do with it. I don't know why it decided to hit DC instead of here, but hey, you never know. You're shooting for New York, right? <laughs> then here, and now so, I guess he hit so DC. So the crazies come out and started blaming this on on anybody yet? On pretty much the gay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right, no, they, they're not blaming us. There, there was a right? there this was time? a truck spill of uh, bull sperm, so that that may have caused it. Or maybe been caused by it. I w- I'm not sure about the time. I, I think it was probably caused by because that that happened like today or yesterday. I right? thought, it, yeah, oh. yesterday is when the earthquake happened. Although I was wearing a tank yesterday, day, so then. it could have been another boob quake. Uh, oh. oh. Do you think we could do an See, experiment? You're, you're holding. You're holding back. Uh, you're, not, you're not giving us all the data. <laughs> or maybe it was just all the fo- fault of the Pope for giving people getting abortions. He hmm. did forgive a lot of young young people. For that, there was didn't basically he? a whole week of amnesty of amnesty you can, abortions? Th- for this one week well, only. Yes, <laughs> so like a tax tax free weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the the priests were just handing out coupons or something. <laughs> you get what you don't. I just I just had a thought. Um, could we like go a year without any gay sex on the on the planet and see if that actually? You mean we? There's no. I said everybody. <laughs> Everybody, I, you know, I did and see go to if there's college. no earthquakes. I mean, we could actually do a valid experiment here. I, I did go to college, and, and I'm just going to leave it at that. You went but, to college. You know, <laughs> well, you know, you know how it is. You're in college. You experiment. It's hard to stop any uh, sex in college, but okay. Okay, maybe that won't work. Okay, <laughs> I just thought it'd be, a, you know, it, it would actually prove something. Yes, if and if you're going to tell my newly married day. friends to not have sex, that's going to be. Yeah, okay. really impossible. Okay. Actually, <laughs> I don't think they would I think that, that they're married, it's quite possible. Yes, okay. because, because so, wedding cake is the biggest, you know, allergic reaction to sex. Hey, Greg, why don't you tell us about the Texas uh, Free Thought Convention? All right, the Texas Free Thought Convention is, um, well, it's the Texas Free Thought Convention. It's uh, October 7th through 9th, and this year it is in Houston. Each year they pick a different city here in Texas. And... Um, the tickets, tickets have been on sale for a few weeks, and uh, hotel rooms are selling out fast. So um, anybody who's listening to this who doesn't know about it, go to TexasFreeThoughtConvention.com. Now, the, the, the convention has a convention rate at the hotel. That's yes. What it's, there is a, a discounted rate. And that's what's running out. Yeah. And that's what's yeah. running There are yeah. other hotels in the in the area, yeah. but you probably want to be in the hotel, especially if someone wants to yeah. drink. And, and you may be able to get into the hotel, the but it'll be a higher cost. You won't get the convention rate. Probably. Yeah. But, but it's going to be... I'm really looking forward to this. There's going to be a great list of speakers. Check that out on TexasFreeThoughtConvention.com. Sorry, it's a long URL, but it's not our fault. We'll be and they're there. adding more and more stuff every day. Yeah. Of course, we're just going to be there as 
you know, as fans, fans, <laughs> Richard Dawkins fans. I'm not holding a fan. Uh, well, I'm going there because <laughs> Matthew Chapman, director, air conditioning, and producer of uh, The Ledge, is going to be there. So I'm going. Yay! Some fingers. Lots of cool people are going to be there. So unfortunately, Andy. that won't be us. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have to decide if we're going to wear any kind of particularly obvious hat or shirt or something so people can come up to us and adore us. I'll be in incognito. I'm going to wear a white tuxedo that says Skeptic Wire on the back. Cool. All right. Excellent. Is All it right. going to be in like rhinestones <laughs> um, that you bedazzle? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> how are you going to mud wrestle the people from the Atheist Experience in a tuxedo? Hey, it's you were the one who thing. made that offer. <laughs> you should be the one doing it. Well, offer isn't quite the right word. I think it was challenge. But <laughs> Okay, so um, that's going to be fun. Another thing is coming up. Our next show, kind of a special... Episode. 21st episode. 21st, we're coming of age, <laughs> and we are going to celebrate um, with a live audience for our next show. Woohoo! And we will be at an undisclosed location, but if you join these <laughs> San Antonio skeptic meetup, you can find the location and come join us. Okay, so, so, so seedy. Undisclosed location, but there's going to be a live audience. Like piped in <laughs> from the internet. If, if you're not a member of, if you, if you live in the area and you're not a member of the San Antonio Skeptic Meetup, then go join and you can get all the information there and you can come yep. join us next week. We'll do a. August yeah, 31st. August 31st. August 31st. Okay. So. Live. Live from San Antonio, it's Wednesday night. Should be fun. Yeah, it's a Wednesday night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Good for college students. But you can come out and see us and talk with us and have fun with other San Antonio skeptics. Yep. Right. We'll try to do some audience participation as much as we can handle. Yeah. And yep. we'll have a lot of fun. Indeed. Now, Greg, tell us about Mabus. Is that how you pronounce it? David Mabus. Mabus. I think that's how you pronounce it. It may be Mabus. I'm not sure. It's basically um, a guy who's, we've found out he's up in Connecticut. Uh, no, not Connecticut. Canada. What the hell? Canada. Canada. You know, Those the, people they in the... Canada. <laughs> They're right next to each other. Oh, almost. Canada. <laughs> a Canadian psychopath. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I would qualify him more as a sociopath than a psychopath, but, you know. Well, basically, he's, for, for some 15, 20 years, he's been basically spamming everybody in the atheist skeptic community and in the last six months or so his his spam has turned more and more threatening and through the great efforts of a lot of people like tim farley pz myers and a lot of other bloggers and um about 3500 other uh, a lot of other twitterers (laughs) um finally the the montreal police have paid up attention and he was arrested and um, he's going to go undergo 30 Some days of psychiatric observation, observation, and he'll be back in court in late September. And so it seems like a uber troll from the Internet is now under, hopefully, lock and key. But yeah, the, the important thing is that he hopefully is getting some treatment because he's a little unbalanced. Yeah, if you've not seen his rants, they're amazing. And yes, but ahead, we Karen. didn't get any of them. I know. Right. So if you've made it in the skeptic community, you you get his attention. I mean, there, there are 13-year-olds, not quite for Christ's sake, who have gotten threatened more than we have. That's not fair. Yeah, they got in the news. 
I, I knew we should have uh, tweeted PZ about something or other. <laughs> but his rants were just unbelievable, incoherent, violent, yeah. um, very, very strange. And if, if you follow skeptic blogs, you've seen them. I think it's been less and less more Twitter stuff lately. Yeah. Less of the long rants on the on the forum pages and the Facebook pages and everything. They've been more. He would still kind of write long rants, but he would just link to them from Twitter. And he was very smart about it because he never did it to anybody in Canada, and that's why pretty much the Montreal police never touched him. Yeah. And then when after this, these kind of skeptic activists started had the online petition. With change.org, every time someone signs that petition, an email goes to the Montreal police. They were retweeting all of his threats to the Montreal police. And they finally got the message, especially when a Montreal newspaper man started investigating. And then he started getting threats as well. It also didn't help that the um, Montreal police or some component thereof retweeted to some people saying we're looking into this and they put their email address and something that Mavis would do is anybody who put their email address or their at Twitter on there he would just instantly start spamming them so essentially Mavis started threatening the police with the same threats that he would do to PZ Myers or Mm. Phil Plate or James Randi so a little unbalanced and hopefully he's getting the treatment he needs and what was frightening is he showed up at the atheist convention the 2010 atheist convention in Montreal he was in Montreal right I believe it so. It was nearby, at least, was, yeah. yeah. It sounds like he was willing to take the next step and actually show up in person. Well, and meet his friends, his internet friends. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I do. Okay, so glad that's taken away. <laughs> we'll see what happens. You know, but he's, he's destroyed my image of all Canadians being kind, caring people. <laughs> you know, like uh, actors. Well, <laughs> you, like, Craig Ferguson is famous no, for saying that and Canadians are the kindest, sweetest people, but if you put a hockey stick in their hands, they're deadly murderers. So, <laughs> then, I can see. Yeah, sure. Okay, Gary, let's talk about Clinton's new diet. Yes. Poor uh, President Clinton. Or good for President Clinton. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, he used to be this big burger-eating, fry-eating guy. Yeah. Um, had a heart attack, or not not a heart attack, he had a quadruple bypass surgery because he got all stopped up, got all verklempt up there in the the heart region, and decided to change his eating habits. So now he's decided to go completely vegan, which is a very difficult lifestyle change. Yes. Uh, Especially going from, uh, you know, lovely, meaty, uh, foody stuff to uh, nuts and legumes and uh, no... Things like that. Yeah, legumes. That's right. I thought it was legumes with a harder G. Legumes. It could be whatever I want it to be. So, <laughs> okay. Legumes. Gari. There we go. See? Now, who who suggested this to him? Uh, it appears that a guy, a medical doctor named Dean Ornish, is his physician. A guy from California who has quite a lot of things that he has done, and quite good things. Uh, but he has been a proponent of the low-fat diet, or actually the, the more vegetarian-vegan diet for, for quite, quite a while. Now, the, the one thing about the, the vegan diet is that makes it difficult is you can't just eat the, anything that's non-meat Meat. or non-animal. 
Because it, it's it, removal of any animal products whatsoever, including right. eggs and milk. Right. And then you can't, if you're a real vegan, you can't have any, wear any animal products like leather. Or you won't eat honey because it's slaved bees. Well, it, it, I, I was some reading up do. about that. Some, some of them Some do. of them, yeah. If you go yeah. really extreme, but some of them say, well, that's what they naturally do. So taking the honey, I mean, it's not like they're eating it. He's doing this for his health. There's different reasons to go yeah. vegan. And if you're doing it for your health, it's going to be different. I don't He's think... going to be wearing leather sold shoes. Yeah, there's yeah, nothing but, in okay. there about him doing any social veganism. Right. right. The problem is, is though, humans are not designed to be vegan. Right. First right. off, our eyes face front for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and we have these little pointy teeth. We have the pointy teeth. <laughs> we also don't have a long enough gullet to properly digest leaf matter which is a, a strong member of the vegan diet. In addition, our masseter muscles, the one that connect at the top of our head to our jaw, are not nearly strong enough. Especially for the nuts and yeah, so. uh, in the hard husks and such. Yay, so an anthropology degree! <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think we're smart enough now to figure out how to... Well, we can do have it. Have a good vegan diet. It can and, be done, be but you really have to do it right. You can't you gotta just... you got to watch your vitamins. Right. You know. We're talking B12. You don't get the omega-3s. Um, you get you get omega threes through through eating, but you don't. But we don't process them from the uh, from the plant life, so we actually have to take supplements for that. Uh, vitamin D, calcium, iodine. Got to take that. Iron. Uh, iron. You, we get enough. You get enough protein through the food. Uh, yeah, iron. You can actually is. Fairly easy to get. Just a through, hell of a lot of spinach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of dark leafy green vegetables. Vitamin A, zinc, selenium, which I think we talked about last week, which are in energy drinks, which I'm having right now. Yay! <laughs> I'm just thinking of all those college vegan vegetarians who you just see them eating like a, a veggie patty and fries every single day at lunch. And it's like, you're not really being healthy. And that's not good. Right. It sounds oh. like he's at least... He's got a physician who's teaching him how to really do it correctly, if you're going to do it. But in his station in life, it's quite easy to do something like this because he's probably not making his own food. So he probably has a chef or chefs or somewhere around him who's going to make him a lovely dish. Yeah. Uh, those of us who have to make our own are probably going to eat nuts all the time and then wonder why we don't have enough energy. <laughs> <laughs> now, he's lost 20 pounds already. 25, I think, yeah. 25, right? yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I remember after his heart surgery, he looked really bad. So I just, you know, <laughs> I hope... <laughs> How soon after his heart surgery? Because when you come out, you look pretty rough. For quite a while. That, that was Dave stalking him in the ICU. <laughs> and, and, you, know, uh, you look like shit. I just came out of surgery for crying out loud. That's not what Clinton sounds you, like. I just wish pain. him well. And uh, <laughs> vegan, you know, I've known people who've done vegan for a while and they give it up. Um, yeah, you get too many people hard. trying to pretend that they're still eating meat, like veggie chicken nuggets and <laughs> veggie burgers and veggie corn dogs. It's like if you're there's plenty of good vegetable dishes out there that can be really tasty, good sauces, whatever. Don't try to pretend that you're still eating meat. <laughs> I hope they let him have you know some cheese or something once in a while. You know, well, I mean, <laughs> well if, if, he's, if he's going with the with well, the he total... can do soy cheese. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which yeah, it's not really cheese if you ask me. But, yeah, but milking those, you know, soy milk, yeah. you have to milk it. Okay, yeah, it's soy fun. is not milk because there's no nipple on the damn soy. <laughs> soy juice, yeah, I don't know why they call it juice. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, so it's great. It's, it is a. It can be good for you. 
Um, it can lower your cholesterol and do all kinds of great things, but you have to do it right. You have to make sure you're doing it right and pay attention that you're not becoming deficient in the vitamins. He's in a great position. He's got someone who's telling, who can tell, and, and chefs who probably know how to do it. So and he's got the money to pay he for has it. The money. Well, yeah. it's not that all that much more expensive to do it. But no, he has the money for the chefs. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but when you make that change, like anything, it's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like trying to quit drinking. You, it's really hard to keep at it. Right, he's dreaming because, of because you have all arches. the accoutrements, you know. To you know, you don't need a, a real sharp knife necessarily <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, you... to eat a bean. I know, you needed it for all this other thing. It's a, it was a really bad joke, never mind. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, uh, Donna. Donna's going to tell us about the Memphis Three. Yes. Um, recently, the West Memphis Three were released from prison. Yay! Um, under a really interesting plea agreement. Who are? Well, the West Memphis Three are three young men that were imprisoned 18 years ago uh, for murder. It was considered a satanic ritual murder just outside of Memphis. Uh, Three young boys were killed. The police basically cornered one of them, got a confession out of him, despite the fact that he was A, underage, B, uh, mentally handicapped. They think his IQ is about 72. That's what I read, He later recanted it, and the police and the judge and everybody else went, no, you know what, (laughs) We, we got all we need. No take backs. No forensic and, evidence actually right, making no, it the, to the scene. The DNA, the DNA at that time was not tested. It was re. It was tested actually in 2007, and this has kind of led to that thing because it turns out that the DNA found at the site links to one of the murdered boys' stepfather. Oh, <laughs> awkward. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, but they they agreed to what is called the Alfred plea, which they said we maintain that we are innocent. But we see that there is enough evidence to convict us. That is, I've never heard of that. That is very interesting. It kind of allows for a time served yeah. kind of right. thing. Right. Basically, well, it allows someone to say, you know what? I'm not going to say I'm guilty. I'm not going to say I did something I didn't do, but I'm going to take the deal. It's almost yeah. kind of a no, no contest. And in their situation, I mean, I did the same just to get the hell out of there. And it was probably just a face saving measure for the prosecutor. Because yeah, there's but, such a lot yeah. of bad press. But now, for but now that they're this. out, I hope they go after these these guys for for railroading them. And and one of those guys was in solitary confinement almost right. The entire well, time. Ethel's was actually received the death penalty. Yeah, on death row in solitary confinement. The the <sighs> oldest of the three. Now Eccles had been in trouble with the law previously, but it was you know minor petty stuff. He was also dressed very gothic. You know, moody kid, had some psychological issues, you know, bad family life and everything else. And the police just went, you know, checkmark, checkmark, checkmark. He fits the profile. He fits the profile. He listened to Metallica. He must be evil. Exactly. (laughs) And the evidence for this being a satanic ritual killing. Was that the boys had been mutilated and they had been tied up with their own shoestrings, which was contradictory in Miss Kelly's confession because he said that they had been tied up with brown rope. He'd also said that the boys had been killed. They killed the boys at noon. It was actually later and at noon, Eccles and the other one, and I'm sorry that I don't have... Baldwin had very strong alibis. In addition, there was no evidence in any of the body cavities of semen. There was semen found at the web... There was semen found at the site, but none in 
the bodies. The bodies. So am I mistaken in saying they, they thought there was ritualized mutilation, but that this was probably animals after the fact? Yes. I would agree with your assessment there. But Too there's a the really interesting article from an attorney who's been involved in this. Um, where it talks about cognitive bias, and what's happening is what she's saying is she believes that the police got it in their head with Miss Kelly's confession and all of the you know the wearing the black, listening to Metallica, all of this. They were all like everything that they saw just pointed that way, <clears throat> and all of this other stuff with the you know finding the DNA and not testing it, finding out that you know Miss Kelly's statements were untrue. All of these other factors, they were like, yeah, it can be explained away. Yeah. You know, that's interesting um, because that's what happens in our court system where the avatarial court system we have, the prosecution says, okay, we're going to prove this guy guilty. And, and they're using, you know, confirmatory bias, right? right? And, and everything tactics, they say, not... everything they see that confirms their suspicions, they use anything that disconfirms it, they don't pay attention to. So... One of the things that she talked about was having the devil's advocate I on the prosecution yeah. side. So the prosecution has somebody, and their job is to pick apart the prosecution's argument. So it's just not confirmatory everything they do. But the, the other uh, problem that we do have with the court system, as it is, it's it's about winning a debate. It's not about whether what something is true or not. It's right. about the prosecution just wants to win so that they win. And obviously, the defense wants to uh, protect their, their client and win. So it's not about the truth. Yeah. You don't often see a prosecutor go, "Oh, wow, that's really good evidence." Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, even you know, after I think, year, I think they're right. <laughs> even after you know, you see these shows where a guy's been absolutely proven innocent and he's let free. The prosecution never gives up. No. They know he's guilty. They're so emotionally and intellectually invested in that, yeah. and they've gone through the whole process of. You know, proving that case, they just never give it up, no. almost ever. It, it's, it's all about winning. It's not but about this case. case specifically was reopened because of the new laws coming out saying that if if you DNA. do have DNA evidence that might change the conviction, you have to test it. Which some yeah. states have this law, some states don't. Yeah. Some states kind of choose to ignore it. I, I, I heard, say. Uh, I read that 48 <laughs> states do have some sort of law along those lines, but Oklahoma and Massachusetts so don't have anything along right. those lines. So they don't have anything. The rest have some kind of combination. Yeah. Massachusetts, that. that surprised me. Yeah. And in addition, there was a documentary about this. It's called Paradise Lost. This is really what kicked off getting these three young men their second day in court. And, and and that documentary is actually how things should work because those the documentarians went in trying to say, oh, we've got this great salacious story of the satanic ritual and the little town thing. And they went there and looked at the evidence and said, actually, we're wrong. We have to do a different documentary. Right. Yeah. And that's and how then, the prosecutor should work. And then that came out and then they got some high-profile celebrities Eddie behind Vetter, the Eddie and Natalie Mines. Um, that's so that's so wrong that you have to get oh oh well the girl in the tight skirt says yeah <laughs> Eddie Vedder is in a tight skirt the famous Natalie person whatever I don't know who this celebrity she's it the shouldn't she's one of the matters it doesn't yeah. it doesn't I matter know. it shouldn't matter no, you shouldn't have to get a celebrity to go well prosecutor people you should you should look at this because I'm famous and I have money right. 
And I'm, it's, I'm it's, good looking. It's not just the celebrity thing. It shouldn't take the much money that they raised right. to really bring these kind of things about. There's too much dependence on money in the system. The other exactly. thing is, is that satanic rituals have been proven over and over again. Like the McMartin nursery school yeah. trial. It doesn't happen. And the ones that say, quote, you know, oh, well, this is a ritualistic thing. They're usually single pedophiles or single pornographers who are using it as a ploy to keep some kids silent. Hmm. It's, it's not this giant network. Like, I mean, in the what? 80s, and I... <laughs> I remember this. It, in know, the this, 80s, it was huge, yeah. You know, you know like two million <laughs> kids every year are going missing, you know, and I right, remember... because for because they're sacrificing the babies and drinking their blood. I remember this. Yeah. That's yes. what the atheists do. <laughs> <laughs> and it was ridiculous. And, and and the whole country was in a panic and bought into it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I I could go on a rant about uh, Tipper, Gore. Tipper Gore Tipper Gore and her uh, uh, parents music resource parents center. music and the, and putting the warning labels on the thing. That was also came about from this whole thing and caused the yeah. panic. Well, I mean, I rocking in doing my music. research for this article, there is a, a website, whatstheharm.net, and they list <laughs> 30 people whose lives have been ruined because of this satanic ritual. Scare quotes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the um, daycare centers, correct? Right. We're, we're and all then, swept into that. Right. But then you also add in Geraldo Rivera, who in the 80s, really pushed the envelope about, you know, oh, look, because he was having people on at least twice a month going, look, and these are people who were obviously psychologically in trouble, <laughs> to put it nicely. <laughs> Unbalanced. Okay. You know, and it led into the whole repressed memories. And But I think that we should give a big congratulations to Eccles, Miss Kelly, and Baldwin on getting their second day in court, getting the the true evidence out there. And we can officially say that justice hasn't been served, but compassion and, or whatever, I don't know the word and, I'm looking for. And rationality, rationality has finally has been served. overtaken the irrational fears. So yes, I agree. Congratulations. Yay. Congratulations on, on getting out. And way to go for everybody who brought this to media attention, whether yeah. they're or not. So, yeah. And it's Good. work by people like the Innocence Project, Barry Sheck, who really do kind of bring these cases to the forefront. And the Innocence Project is really one of the main proponents about DNA testing out there. So, Cool. And re-examination of data. Yes. Because I think they also did the thing that we talked about last week with um, yeah. Willingham. Yes. Yeah, sure. Yes, Willingham. <laughs> we kind of got into the little, I was all like... Um, Not Williams, Willingham. Okay. <laughs> okay, Greg, uh, tell us about um, this teacher who got in trouble for uh, her religious it, comments. Yes. In 2007, Dr. James uh, Corbett, who was teaching a college-level history class at, um, what is it, um, Capist Capistrano Valley High School in Mission Viejo. So Dr. Corbett was lecturing... Um, the history teacher, uh, history class about uh, creationism. And one of his students, uh, Chad Furman, who was then a 15-year-old sophomore, took exception to what uh, Dr. Corbett was saying. And what uh, did Dr. Corbett say? He, uh, yeah, he basically the kid dropped the class and sued him. This is the kind of thing that uh, Dr. Corbett was talking about. And I know this is, will be a little long, so we'll try to get through it. 
He said, Aristotle argued, you know, there's sort of has to be a God. And of course, that's nonsense. I mean, that's what you call deductive reasoning, you know. And you hear it all the time with people who say, well, if all this stuff that makes up the universe is here, something must have created it. Well, that's faulty logic, very faulty logic. He continued. The other possibility is it's always been here. You call um you call as um, as to which one of these notions scientific, one is scientific, one is magic. All I'm saying, you know, is that the people who want to make the argument that God did it, there's as much evidence that God did it as there is the uh, giant spaghetti monster living behind the moon <laughs> did it. Corbett then told his students that, quote, unquote, real scientists try to disprove the theory of evolution. Contrast that with creationists. They never try to disprove creationism. They're all running around trying to prove it. That's deduction. That's not science. Scientifically, it's nonsense. So the kid sued him for violating his First Amendment freedom of religion rights. And um, what happened uh, this week is that a three-judge panel, I believe it was, yes, of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals reversed a lower court decision and basically said that the uh, teacher, Mr. Cor Dr. Corbett, was qualified for, um, sorry, had qualified immunity because it was not clearly established in the law that a teacher's expression of hostility of, to certain religious beliefs in a public school classroom would violate the First Amendment. Yeah, it's I really don't get just that. saying no one. It seems like well, no one else has said anything about that. There's no laws. There's no precedent, <laughs> yeah. so we're not going to make a ruling. And make precedent. And make Yeah, and make precedent. Which They're scared. You know, there, there was some discussion of uh, teachers must always been, be given leeway to challenge students and foster critical thinking skills to develop their analytical abilities. So what this, do we think about this? It's, it's kind of weird because I'm on the side of, you know, anybody who says, well, you can't teach creationism in school because that's... That's an authority figure saying, this is what you should believe. And it's a little weird when it's on the other side saying, yeah. you know, why why would we not limit someone from saying, but it's a history class? I'm, I'm seeing this from yeah. a different perspective. He wasn't talking about creation in and of itself. He was talking about the philosophy of creation. The creationism mm -hmm. tactics? Yeah. Okay. And and so there's, there's the a reasoning. Right. Yeah. So he he's not saying you know evolution is necessarily real. He's saying that the science of evolution is science. It's based on a scientific principle, and they try to disprove it. And there are certain things that they do to 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 come up with the theory and to to make make it the most robust theory that we have. Whereas creationism never even tries to do that. They're not trying to disprove their hypothesis, and of course they really can't. But <laughs> he's he's just talking about the philosophy of it. He didn't say that creationism as a religious tenant was wrong. He At no point did he actually disprove He said that their science is bad. Right. So at that point, to me, it really becomes a First Amendment free speech issue. On his side? On his side. That he should have the right to criticize the, the quote-unquote attempted scientific arguments of creationism like you would criticize, say, some politician or something like so that. So is the prohibition on promoting religion the same as the prohibition on saying religion is not scientific and promoting science over religion? It's it's interesting because I haven't really hmm. thought about it. And it yeah. just may be the next battle line. And you know the Liberty Institute's looking at this very closely. Texas, for example. 
<laughs> we, oh, there, there are high schools and, and junior highs that have a Bible class, but they teach it from a literature perspective. Right? That is perfectly acceptable. acceptable. You can teach the Bible from uh, a historical or a literature point of view, but you can't teach it from a religious point of view. But someone, I think that's, someone could argue that teaching the Bible as literature infringes on their religious rights to believe that it is inherent... You know, uh, inerrant and the the spoken word okay, of God. Okay, how is it infringing on their rights? Because at no point is somebody saying because they're saying that it was written by people over these many years, and you can see the differences and how the text changed. And okay, how then any time that an atheist billboard goes up that says, you know, the Bible is wrong, then they're offending. And, well, and, no, and, no, free speech is it's different when you have a you know public school but, and to be clear you did say this is a college level class i don't know if we clarified it's a this college is a public level, school high yeah. school it's an ap type level class this in is a, a 15 high school. year old in a, in, a, in a high school mm-hmm. so this is not a private university correct okay uh well go, going back to go ahead. The, the, the biblical class they wouldn't necessarily be doing the burt airman thing Ehrman, airman I'm, I'm having problems with my pronunciations they they would actually just look at, at from a literature point of view. They wouldn't be doing a, a criticism of it. They just say where did it come from, how did the stories tie together, uh, what's the historical context in which it, it happened. Well, I, I I understand that, but from a fundamentalist point of view, if you say, well, look at all these other, you know, son of a virgin birth and resurrection stories that came that were around before Jesus. To them, that's like, well, that's saying our religion is nonsense, and we didn't think of it first. And, and then they shouldn't be taking the class. I'm, 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 <laughs> those are I'm all not saying it's a classes. good argument. I'm just saying they they might be able to say it. And I think that's possibly why this ruling kind of came about this way, because really they talked about that there wasn't a good line of demarcation of how far you can go in really having you know a robust exchange of ideas in education or how far that goes with criticism, and, and where that line is, is not very clear in the law. So they've just opened up the battle. Right, you know, but the, also in this case, it's an AP-level course, therefore it is an elective course. Uh, it's supposed to challenge you. Yes. Right? Um, the, the kid did not have to take this course, and the same thing with the biblical literature courses. They are electives. If you don't like what's being said in there, you are not required to take those courses. That it, won't stop a te- from, no, uh, I, 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 a parent I, 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 from I complaining. It, but but it's, this, it's the same argument that it, from from the other side. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, we're teaching the Bible. They don't have to take that. But there's a difference. If, you, if you're taking a Bible course, you know you're taking a Bible course. This it, is a it's history well laid course. Out. Yeah, this, yeah. Okay. Where something completely left field came in. Started talking about yeah. Aristotle and then went into creationism being... Well, we explained don't know exactly. as nonsense. Yeah, we, well, yeah. we're we're lacking the proper context. There, there were a lot of dot dot dots in the quotes that I read <laughs> earlier. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. It, it's it's a it's a very tough one, but I I I, I personally I like it in that it's saying you can criticize religion and religious thought to a certain extent in academia, and that's a good thing. We just have to watch that line of not being bastards about it. You know, <laughs> Don't not, be a dick. <laughs> yeah, not ev- not evangelizing for secularism within the classroom. And, um, uh, and if so, you're going to yeah, promote science, you can't stop when science starts interfering with religious yeah. beliefs. So, you know, if you're doing it as a promotion of good rational argument, good scientific argument, 
taking things on, you're being skeptical, you know, you can't stop right when it starts challenging someone's religious beliefs. No. So where, I don't know where that right. line is. Right, and that is exactly what Judge Fisher kind of laid out in his ruling. He says, but teachers must be given leeway to challenge students to foster critical thinking skills and develop their analytical abilities. This balance is hard to achieve, and we must be careful not to curb intellectual freedom by imposing dogmatic restrictions. Yeah. So he just he just needs to watch himself next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But essentially, though, he's been given for lack immunity on this. The yeah, Corbett, qualified immunity. But qualified yeah. immunity. It was it was kind of couched in the idea of saying he could not have known ahead of time that he would have been infringing with this conversation. So does that mean the next person who makes the same argument would be? That seems a little odd to me. So. I agree with David that I wish we had more information about what this, where this decision came from, but it's an interesting decision, and it's kind of good as far as I'm concerned. Works in our favor, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, you're going to tell us about someone who just passed away this yeah, week? Yeah, we're going to talk about a passing of an interesting oh. character with a local connection, and his name is Helmut Schmidt. He is a German-born physicist and parapsychologist. And I'm going to talk a little bit about him and his local connection to San Antonio. As I was reading through this art, these articles, I kept on thinking of Dr. Venkman from Ghostbusters being this kind of <laughs> physicist who's also a parapsychologist. And, you know, just it, it just kept popping into my head. <laughs> Different guy. Yes. And, and this different. also is not, not the German not chancellor. Not quite as funny. Not the German chancellor, Helmut Schmidt. He's still alive. Um, he's still alive, <laughs> actually, yes. Um, but he was German-born. He was born in 1928. He died um, this past Thursday on uh, um, August 18th. Um, now, he got a Ph.D. in physics in the 50s from University of Cologne. Uh, he came to the U.S. in the 60s. Um, he has a long, illustrious career. He was with Boeing Scientific Research, and he was the head of the Parapsychology Institute. And I want to talk a little he, he, about his later career. Well, I'll tell you what. Earlier on, he actually developed – what he tried to do is, is uh, introduce scientific, strict scientific method into the study of parapsychology. Okay? And he came up with some of the techniques and tools that are still used today. You know, he came up with the random number generator and random event generators to see if people could um, guess what was going to come next or somehow influence the random numbers and the random random chance through either psychokinesis, through influencing it, or precognition, guessing what is going to come next. And he did a lot of studies, wrote a lot of papers, most of them published in parapsychology journals, but actually there was one published in a journal of um, physical sciences or something like that. And, and, and when looking at him on the Internet, there's a lot of people still citing him as offering some of the most definitive proof of psi abilities because he had some um, fairly rigorous uh, tests where he was finding after, there and different people doing it after hundreds of trials, finding about 1% to 2% better than chance which right. does it's, not sound very impressive. It's very tiny, but it's statistically there. Statistically kind there. Kind of. And, and, yeah. and, and most of the criticisms have come from either the statistics used or whether the, 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 the equipment he was using is actually random and whether there was fraud involved. 
Okay. And there's been a lot of back. I mean, this is early. This is, I mean, he's doing this research in the 60s and 70s. Um, and there's been a lot of back and forth, but he's still being cited as, as, as someone who's, who really brought rigor to the field and, um, had some definitive tests. Now he had some other tests that weren't so definitive. They're very interesting. He had dogs and he tried to, he was testing the psychic ability of dogs. I love this. Um, yeah, I was gonna bring, <laughs> if you had to brought this up, I was going to bring this up. I, that's great. So the dog could see the object and someone was trying to guess what that object is. If the person got it right, the dog would be given a treat. Not just a treat though. This is cruel. Gave him chocolate. Chocolate <laughs> to a dog. Bad for, a dogs. bad for dogs. And this was a miniature Dotson. You know, my miniature Dotson got a hold of a Snickers bar once and it almost killed him. So careful, guys, with the chocolate. But they were given a miniature Dotson chocolate. I think the results of that was a needs further study. Yeah, supposedly non-psychic. <laughs> How do they test that the dog is non-psychic? Well, obviously but... the dog didn't know it was good to, or not good to eat the chocolate. <laughs> he also tested rabbits and rats and cockroaches for psychic ability. Yeah. Like, I, I, well, I to test humans. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. So, anyway, he was important in the parapsychology field, and and people use this, still use number generators. We hear about this all the time. The random number generators and trying to influence those. So it's very interesting. But now the local connection in his later career, he was picked up by the mind science. Foundation, which is a local institution, and you know we all love it. In fact, Gary and I were at a, at a lecture uh, yesterday uh, at the Mind Science Foundation. By yeah, um, it was cool. It was very nice. Uh, the guy who wrote Incognito: The Secret Lives of the Brain. Um, what's his name? Uh, David Eagleman. Very nice lecture. Okay, they do great work. Um, he was part of that organization. Earlier on in the organization was. They did look at the parapsychology. You go to their website now, you're not seeing that anymore. It's pretty much very nice. It's dedicated to the study of consciousness, okay? And they've pretty much shed the parapsychology. In fact, I kept looking at their, their website to see if they mentioned this guy, and he's you can't no, find not him on anymore. It's, because it's now more on the actual science. Yes. A lot more focused on neuroscience yeah. and, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because that worried me a bit. <laughs> Like well, you know, this, this crank who's you know who thinks cockroaches can be psychic. Well, he was <laughs> testing, you know. And now, the, oh yeah, it's good that he was trying to bring some some rigor to the studies, but he seemed to think some pretty weird things. I found this one thing where uh, Martin Gardner was writing about him, where he had this hypothesis that um, if you put cockroaches in a box where they could give themselves electric shocks. One would assume that cockroaches do not like to be shocked and would give themselves shocks at a, cha a chance rate or less. If the cockroaches could learn from experience, the cockroaches gave themselves more electric shocks than predicted by chance. So Schmidt concluded that, quote, because he hated cockroaches, maybe it was his PK that influenced the randomizer <laughs> and, and gave PK, the... PK, by the way, being psycho, uh, psychokinesis. So... That he thought he was because he hated cockroaches so much. That's why the cockroaches <laughs> kept on getting shocked more than chance. It, and this yeah. kind of leads into that the whole joke about uh, about the frog. You know, uh, the guy's like, okay, he calls the frog and the frog hops over, so he cuts off one of the legs. And he calls the frog and the frog hops over, so he cuts off another leg. And he calls the frog and the frog hops over, and he finally cuts off the last leg. And he calls the frog and it just sits there. And so he concludes that you cut off all the legs of a frog, it goes deaf. 
I mean, that's that's what that experiment yeah. reminds me. It's that really weird. Uh, it, it, it's weird not reasoning. from the data. He was, he was doing. It <laughs> okay, seems it is from like the data. he was trying to do good things in being rigorous and maybe having controls and science and electronics, but. His logic was just out the window. Yeah, he, he definitely drew a, drew a weird conclusion from that. Yeah. Instead, well, instead of thinking that maybe, like, maybe they like being shot, <laughs> maybe it gives them a thrill. I mean, they're the hardy buggers. Right. He won the. <laughs> they Tim, do survive, you know, nuclear, nuclear war. war. Absolutely. Yeah. He won the Tim Densdale Award. Densdale. Yeah, huh? I was thinking the same thing. Is that thing, <laughs> is it the, the guy from Monty Python? Dimsdale. It's the it's the it's a giant hedgehog. Yes. For, <laughs> for pioneering electronic and computer techniques for the study of human machine interactions, Dimsdale was a Loch Ness hunter. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary and I just got a little silly there. So. Dimsdale, Loch Ness. <laughs> now, now all of this kind of leads into. The, the, the Mind Science Foundation, which is not only a terrific foundation, but we have some other terrific foundations in this city. That is one, and the, and there that we have the Southwest Research Institute, the Southwest Biomedical Research Institute, all of which came from our brainchilds of Tom Slick. Okay, so Tom Slick is the one that brought this guy in. Tom Slick was an amazing character. He was an oil. He he, you know, inherited. You know, millions of dollars from from the oil business from his parents. He was an adventurer. He as well was a cryptozoologist and a big yeti, and and um, he searched for yeti in the Himalayas. He searched for Bigfoot in South America. He was friends with Howard Hughes and Jimmy Stewart, both flyers, and he was really a character. And um, he brought this guy on, and he's done. I mean, the, the institutions that he's left behind here are amazing. We also went to a, a, a nice lecture on all the cool science they're doing at the Southwest Research Institute. Yeah, it was a couple it was of an amazing ago. thing. They've got they've got some instrumentation on the flight to Jupiter right now. So Tom Which Slick we is talked about in a previous podcast. In, important important uh, person in, in in San Antonio, and I want to talk a, a couple of things that he did. Supposedly, one of his treks to find Yeti in the Himalayas was a rouge to help smuggle out the Dalai Lama. <laughs> and it, and well, you dress the help up the Dalai the Lama in a big Bigfoot costume, and it could make sense. He also, with the help of Jimmy Stewart, this is confirmed by Jimmy Stewart, broke into a Buddhist monastery in Nepal and stole this relic that was supposedly a Yeti hand. <laughs> and they didn't steal it. They, they replaced some of the bones with human hand bones. And then That's so true. later... And, and Jimmy Stewart helped smuggle it out of the country. Later, when they examined this hand, finally let scientists examine it, they said, well, this is a fraud. It's got human bones. Sort of like <laughs> pelt-down man with the orangutan jaw. Yeah. But actually, now they think maybe this was a Neanderthal hand. It was it was called a fraud because it had mixed parts in it. Because, mm -hmm. because he had stolen some of the bones. It's kind of weird. Anyway, very lively, uh, interesting character in San Antonio history. But it, and it sounds like he's gotten a little more scientific in his older age. Well, he passed away quite a while ago. Okay, so it's the organization. But his organizations okay. have evolved, and they're doing fantastic work. He gave Southwest Research this huge endowment and a lot of land, and they're doing a lot of physics. And he's kind of got bio bio 
in, in the bioengineering, he's got the consciousness, and he's got the physics. Three very important areas of research that they're out in front of. So I kind of wanted to draw that cool local connection. And, and with Helmut Schmidt. See, there is good science in Texas. Yes. Oh, it's yes, excellent, excellent, excellent science in Texas. So there's our long topics, and we are going to uh, finish this off with a lightning round. Lightning round! Lightning round! Lightning round! Gary, tell us about this uh, new face recognition software in the London Riots. Face recognition technology that didn't quite cut the mustard. Um, as I think everybody knows, there were some riots in London and associated places around there uh, about the 6th to 10th of August. And uh, London is one of the most wired cities in the world, or at least they have the most uh, cameras cameras in, in the world, like on like every corner. I'll just, yeah, I'll just say it's every corner, and they point in all directions. But it turns out they're low-quality cameras. So they, they have this face uh, recognition software that's supposed to recognize the, the looters and the hoodlums. And unfortunately, because the resolution on these cameras is... Not good, not even uh, not even webcam quality. They can't recognize any of the faces. Oh, that's money well spent. <laughs> it's money well spent. It's very sad. So, so humans, we still have uh, a job ahead of us. This is a wonderful thing for us. Not so good for all of the places that are buying this technology. Anybody else have anything to say? That's all I have to say about it. It's very sad. Okay. Well, okay. Donna. You, you're an under. Donna, tell us about... Diamonds. Diamonds. Uh, professor Zhu, out of, uh, he was a chemistry professor out of the University of St. Andrews, has managed to figure out a way how to sample from inside the center of a flame. And what he has discovered is, is that the carbonization process from inside the flame is actually creating about, it was literally creating thousands of diamond particles in addition to all the stages of a diamond and carbon in between. So what happens to those diamond particles? Tiny diamonds. float around because they're microscopic. They're, they're in the smoke. Yes. So it's so. like a dozen carbon atoms in the diamond pattern, and that's enough to qualify as a diamond. Yes. Okay. So for, for <laughs> the two of you guys here that, that aren't married, instead of going out and spending that two-month salary Set on... Set her on fire! <laughs> I was going to say, you know, go to a home decor store, Yankee Candle, and go, here you go. Diamonds. As many diamonds as you can count. Yay. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think that'll work. Put, put a little uh, ring, that you, you know, a little wax ring and a wick in there. Here you go. Here's your four-carat diamond. <laughs> yeah, they're diamonds small, are but crazy. there are thousands I mean, of them. They're, they're just carbon. You know, women, women, they're just carbon. So what if, what if, if I set a coal, a piece of coal or a briquette, put that on a, on a band? Possibly. <laughs> Why not? I'm never getting married. That's it. <laughs> Ding! Okay, Greg, tell us about Alaska and orange goo. Yes. Uh, several weeks ago, um, a basically film of orange goo uh, showed up um, up in Alaska. I can't remember exactly where. Uh, anyway. Like all over. Yeah, yeah, Alaska's small. It was it was on some coastal city where they do a <laughs> lot of um, well, fishing and all that. And this orange goo showed up on in this bay or something like that. 
Um, and no one knew what it was. No one knew what it was. There's a lot of fear about what is this? Is it aliens taking over? Whatever. <laughs> it's alien eggs. And yep. originally, um, pretty close. Um, originally, scientists at first glance thought it was some small egg of some sort because there was like a little fatty acid drop in this somewhere. So they thought, okay, it must be tiny little eggs of some creature. They didn't know what, so they did some further tests. And it turns out that it's not little eggs. It's actually rust fungus spores. Rust fungus. Yes. Rust fungus, is. there's a lot of different types of rust fungus. Apparently, there are some 7,000 varieties that they may not have, uh, ha- haven't identified yet, just in, like, the northern tundras. Huh. It was just so. so interesting that no one knew what this was, and it took yeah. so long to figure out. Yeah. And we know rust fungus... Has fooled us in India too with that red rain. Yes, exactly. So it's it's probably a new type of rust fungus, and um, they do a little bit more tests on it. But I think this is great science stuff of people saying, "Well, it must be an egg." No, it's a spore. We learned more. It's not going to be on our sushi anytime soon. Okay, so um, I'm going to talk about this uh, dragnet uh, in in Florida. This uh, investigation into a uh, Romanian gypsy psychic uh, uh, clan. Sorry, wrong music. Totally (laughs) ripping people off. Okay. This this family of gypsies has literally stolen tens of million dollars, tens of millions of dollars from people by telling them that they can. You know, I'm going to give you one example. This is a. Uh, Jude Devereaux is a famous uh, romance novelist whose eight-year-old son was killed in in an accident, was hit by a car. She was totally distressed. She went to a psychic. They told her that her son was stuck between heaven and hell and that they needed to stick with them and they would save him. And in the meantime, they got $20 million of her money. That's a pretty good And haul. got written into her will. Wow. And nice. they, um, it's t- so, it's just such horrible manipulation. Um, and they've been doing this. There's like 20 victims. They're looking for more victims. They're afraid some of the victims killed themselves. This woman almost killed herself. Uh, they took everything she had. She was destitute. After being a famous novel, she's been on the New York Times bestseller list for like 20 books. And it's just a horrible situation. So, And that was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Yeah. And next, it were, Gary's going to tell us about the mystery of coffee rings. Coffee! Yes, I am a coffee drinker. Mm. I like the coffees. We can't tell. No. no. I haven't had coffee this evening. I had an energy drink. Anyway, so... The coffee ring. Everyone has seen the coffee ring, and no one has really ever wondered about it, except that they wonder why they always put it on important papers that need to be given to somebody. <laughs> uh, so some physicists have figured out what has happened to the, uh, what happens to coffee and the 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 liquid in the ring shape, rather than uh, spreading out evenly through the ring on why you get the coffee ring. With the sharply defined edges. Exactly. You know, you get that little uh, lucent brown stain of quality, uh, If for those of you who read Dilbert. And what they found is that when you have uh, circular-type particles, which is what coffee and, the, I guess, the caffeine and, or the, the coffee particles are kind of round, is they tend to get pushed towards the edge as it starts drying up. Um, but when you have longer 
uh, uh, molecules. They tend to just sit there, like uh, elongated mo- molecules, you know, like yeah. uh, bacterium-looking things, uh, and they will fill in the whole thing. Uh, so it's quite interesting. Uh, it's on uh, NPR had a had a nice write up on it. I'm going to post it on the blog because there's some really cool video of this in action. And there are industrial applications. And there are industrial to be found. applications. Yes. So very exciting news. Uh, I guess I will stop now. <laughs> Donna, tell us the cool new news in evolution. The cool new news in evolution is is that scientists were able to reverse evolution and produce a snouted chicken. This is like re- uh, listening to the Beatles backwards? Sort of, but just a little more scientifically. Um, they managed to alter the DNA of chicken embryos in the early stages and basically gave them a crocodile snout as opposed to the traditional beak. Oh, not like a crock a duck, but a, a crock a chick. Crock a chicken, yeah. Um, I think I dated someone like that. Scientists believe that chickens or that birds lost their snouts during the Cretaceous period instead of developing beaks as, as number is one of the many changes that distance them from other relatives from the uh, their distant relatives like the alligator. This is actually turning into really huge news. Um, scientists are predicting that they might be able to actually speed up the process of evolution and could create species better adapted to our ever-changing planet. Yeah, I I don't like that angle. And, and to be clear, like they didn't manipulate the genes. What they did is they manipulated the, the the regulatory genes that turn on existing genes. The Hox so they genes. Were, yeah, they were able to turn on existing genes. So those genes for the snout actually exists in the chicken. They just turned them on. So, so, right? the ho- so they turned on the Hox genes? They turned yes. on the chickens? Well, they turned on Ew. some regulatory genes that gave yes. Unfortunately, ethically, they couldn't let them hatch. So we, all we have is the embryos. Uh, but the thing about... Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, gonna, hold on. I'm going to call Mulligan here. All right. So we, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. Okay. Different rules. Mulligans are going to happen at the end of the show. Yes. <laughs> or at the end of the round. At the end of the round. So, um, uh, Greg, you are next. Yeah, I'm going to tell you about Aiden Dwyer. He's a 13-year-old 7th grader from New York who uh, won the uh, Young Naturalist, one of the many Young Naturalist Awards um, at the American Museum, Museum of Natural History. Um, this, this young kid basically um, was hiking in the uh, Appalachian or something, and he or the Catskill Mountains, and he was looking at the trees and thought, well, why do they grow their leaves the way they do? And he did some reading, and he found the whole idea of the Fibonacci sequence that pattern of of numbers that shows up a lot in nature and he devised this experiment to say well is is this kind of spiral pattern that fibonacci creates is that more efficient and then that's why trees are that way their branches their leaves on the branches and the whole thing and he did a, a nice little experiment um where he created um you know the, he took solar panels put them on a post and had the tree arrangement and he found that um, the voltage was actually higher for the tree arrangement than your standard kind of flat panel thing. Now, it, it was a nice little experiment for for kid, but apparently in uh, looking at it fur- further, he's gotten a lot of peer review on the Internet <laughs> because uh, apparently that way of describing, of, of running that, that test didn't actually show didn't actually wouldn't actually show higher vo- charge higher energy coming out it just showed higher voltage right. so 
good science and the kids should keep trying. Keep at it, guy. Yeah. Keep at it. Okay. So, um, last story is this is really neat. I have got in front of me a, a court document. There's been a lawsuit filed in the state of California against Borean Laboratories, which is a French company that produces homeopathic products. And their biggest seller is a, a, a silicoconum. Okay? And you did that what, good, David. Thank you. <laughs> this is great because if you know anything about a silicoconum, and we're going to call it a silica because they call it that in the court document for the rest of the time here. Is th- there is nothing there, okay? There really is nothing there. And this court document, when we talk about these things, this court document spells it out so wonderfully. I'm going to, I'm going to quote some of the facts here. Unfortunately, defendants failed to inform consumers of the truth regarding a silo and its productive active, its purported active ingredient. The truth is that the listed active ingredient in a silo Anus barica hepatis a cordis extractum is neither active in combating the flu, nor is it actually an ingredient in a psylla. Anus barica hepatis corellis, I'm going to call it extractum, <laughs> is a fancy way for the defendant to hide the truth from the general public. The truth behind being that blah, 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 extractum is actually Molkovy duck liver and heart. Um, it has known, known medical quality. Further, in the extreme dilution claimed by the defendants, has no impact on the human body whatsoever because it is not present in a silly. And I'm going to tell you, they, they talk about the, the, the dis- dissolution ratio, and they actually put out 1 to the 10, and they put out all the zeros. It takes two <laughs> lines. It's about 150 zeros dilution in this, in this thing. It's wonderful. It's a great lawsuit. I'm going to be following it. Cool. So let's let's get back to um, I hate cutting cutting you off, Donna. The, so let's talk the about the, the chickasaurus a little <laughs> bit because I think that's a really interesting subject. Well, the other thing is is that if they are able to use the hox genes to turn these these things off, this could mean revolutionary treatments in um, like cleft palates, also because if you were able to turn yeah. those genetic markers off, you know that's that's an amazing feat. That, yeah. That was, oh, so, they, so wait, they're, they're, they're turning the hox gene off or on? They turned it on, but I think in regards to cleft palate, you would have to turn it off. Okay, because turning oh. it on is dangerous because that that will have a whole generation of uh, crocker chickens who want to be on <laughs> Pawn Stars. Yeah. You know, this stuff, I'm sorry, that's very funny. This stuff has been, there's another Don't scientist going the same thing. Remember, there's another scientist that has, has turned on the teeth has has actually bred chicken Chicken with with teeth teeth, because they actually have that gene in them. That that wasn't the frog with teeth story that came out in the last week or two. I don't know. No, uh, because the frog with teeth, that's natural. Naturally occurring. Now, chickens have, birds have a lot of the genes just historical from their prehistoric, you know, their dinosaur origins a lot of them are really deteriorated so they're not gonna be really good you turn them on the teeth are just they're not real sharp they're not real good teeth but the genes are there and this is someone now they're, they're looking at the different the snouts this is very interesting because we know that the scientists of the teeth is also trying to get the chicken with the long tail and mm-hmm. and the scales you know and we're going to start trying to 
turn these genes on to see what's there. Someone better alert the XKCD people because we're going to have velociraptors real soon. Yeah. This way, it doesn't <laughs> really make sense. It doesn't make sense to me. This news article saying, "Oh, make me speed up evolution." No, that, that, we're well, just turning on genes that yeah. are there that we're, we're kind of treasure hunting yeah. and going through the genetic that we're looking for genes that aren't doing anything, turning them on and seeing what they do because they're historical. Well, but, what they're trying to do is, if you can turn it one way, maybe you can turn it the other way. Because genetic process is not just a slow and steady race. It's it's a matter of stair steps. And I could go all into about punctuated equilibrium and everything else and what they're trying to do. But that's just a theory. <laughs> Gary, Gary. You're not going to create new features. You're not going to create new features. Well, some, something... And without we... actually genetic engineering, which is not what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're doing engineering, but they're just turning on and off existing genes. There's also the fact that a lot of genes aren't just either they're on or they're off. A lot of them are, well, if they're on for the first week, right. it's healthy, and then they get turned off. If they stay on, that's a problem. Or you know, if they right. never turn on, or they're supposed to turn on for this sequence and then turn... Be right. dormant for this part, and then turn on yet again. Which is you like need the to be able to, thing. yeah, you yeah. need to be able to activate these things at points, and then deactivate them mm-hmm. back and forth for lots of different things, like finger formation or something like that. Yeah, hmm. it's really interesting re- uh, research, and it basically, to me, kind of proves evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Um, In addition to all that other evidence, <laughs> that <laughs> mountain of evidence around the corner that we're going to ignore, yes. <laughs> I don't know. Intelligent design. If they got it, it was already built in there all along. Yeah, how, right. are they, how, are, uh, how are the creationists going to react to this kind of thing? They're going to say, they're, they're, they're going to, well, the, the intelligent design proponents are, are going, going to, to say, say that it, this was already worked into the master yeah, plan. Yeah, it's, it's all there. It's just a matter of turning it on, and that's how the dinosaurs, and then, you know, the angel came down and flicked the switch, and then they became birds. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, all, it's all directed evolution. Yeah, but, you know, I'm just, I'm waiting for Crocoduck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say, we got Crocoduck. Okay, any other well, subjects that anybody wanted to expand on in the lightning round? Or, yeah. did, Gary, did you um, see, see anything in that kind of the voltage versus current study that maybe I didn't explain very well. Uh, yeah. The Fibonacci kid. It, the, the Fibonacci kid. Going back to that, um, I was curious about that because uh, I'm not big on my solar cells, but it, it seems to me that you would have a more constant voltage throughout the day if you would have it because it would catch the so, the uh, uh, in prime conditions as the sun moved throughout and yeah. throughout the year. You'd always have part of the solar cell pointing at the sun. They did say that the tree arrangement was slightly beneficial in the morning because there were more surface more surface area pointing towards where the sun was rising, right. but the flat regular kind of panel array that we normally have is better in the afternoon and as as an average captures more uh, more, more because current. Yeah, right because you're more pointing. But you can also you can also move the solar array to follow the sun yeah. just like just like plants do during the day. But now there, there is a point <laughs> between I'm going to ignore that. There, there is a there is a thing about the voltage versus current, which the the the, the kid didn't measure that. He measured just voltage, right? Um, and that apparently was higher. But it's the current that does all the work. And according to some of the debunking pages, uh, you're not going to get more current out of this arrangement because you don't have more solar cells uh, grabbing. So you're actually going to have less current overall 
uh, in this arrangement. But it'll probably, I would imagine, be more constant throughout the day. But what you really want is more as much current as you can possibly get out of there, which is going to go into some sort of uh, battery arrangement to, to actually store it. Yeah. Because okay. you're not you're not taking energy directly from the solar cells and running a light. You're running it through a uh, a UPS of some sort, an right. uninterruptible uninterruptible power supply. <laughs> but the good part about that story is even the people who were saying, "Well, kid, no," kind of, uh, they were still saying positive things. Uh, Rajiv Varma sure. of Western Ontario University said. What I would really like is that this young man should not be discouraged by telling him that he, what he proposed is wrong, but instead help him get in touch with researchers or academics working in this area so that a bright mind is nurtured in this area. Yeah, and absolutely. This just, uh, you know, he may have got it wrong, but that's what science does. You, you get it wrong, you correct it next well, he time, got, and you he got do parts better. of it right. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, an, in a, it's a, certainly an interesting idea, and that absolutely should be pursued, especially right. with the newer solar cells that are going to be more efficient. And it's, might it's great better. that this kid wants to try to help the environment by develop better solar panels, and he's got a scientific mind, and yep. he's what, encouraged to do good stuff. 13. 13. He's only 13. Okay, so we <laughs> want to remind everybody about the Texas uh, Freedom Convention coming up. And what are the dates again? Texas Free Thought Convention, Free October 7th, 8th, and 9th. Freedom Convention. <laughs> Freedom! <laughs> That's the nudist convention next door. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was the Scott convention, the Scotch convention, because, you know, freedom. freedom right? <laughs> so that should be good, and yep. we're going to be there. And, again, next week, we hope to have an audience. Yep. So We, we uh, do have come. an audience signed up. Meetup.com. Yeah. Yeah. Meetup.com, Meetup. RSVP. <clears throat> and, and those of you wondering right now if we mean live and that we're going to be streaming it, no. We're just going to record it in front of a, a studio. live studio audience. Live yeah, studio like, audience. Like uh, all the family was always recorded in front of a live studio audience. So, yeah. Make history. <laughs> Come see our show. Yes. Just as an example. Yes. <laughs> We're just the same as all in the family. Okay. And, you know, David is David is our Archie Bunker. So, <laughs> does that make me Edith? I think that makes you yeah. meathead. Stifle. Stifle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Signing off. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Drive safe. The Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire. I wouldn't call it molesting. I would. That's recorded. (laughs) It's over 18. It, once it's over 18, it's not molesting anymore. Well, it's just, it's, it, is, it is two years old uh, in real years, but what is that in computer years? That's, that's like, like 37. Yeah. 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 You know, it's we, apparently my computer is 200 years old. <laughs> We're wasting so much good um, content here. Woo. We're recording it. Are we? Why? Yeah. By talking about fucking computers? No, no. Molesting no, no. commuters. <laughs> it's a difference. Commuters? We're molesting commuters? Okay.
I don't commute. It's the best thing not I do me, for not in the morning. Not me, not me, not <laughs> me. I am not molesting commuters. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Greg. Okay. Um, Are we ready to get started? Oh, well, we're rolling, so anytime. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for y'all to stop talking. It's not, y'all need to stop talking. You want us to stop talking? You want us to stop talking? You want us to stop talking? Let's play the quiet game. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Fuck up, everybody. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. We need to be quiet as church mice. Because wedding cake is the biggest, you know, allergic reaction to sex. So speaking of hard to prevent sex, let's talk about Bill Clinton. Now, All right, wait a minute. I broke Gary. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We have a few announcements to make before we talk about that. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Okay. Did I blow Your my segue load a little, little early? <laughs> premature, uh, uh... <laughs> premature so, speculation? Hey, Greg, why don't you tell us about the Texas uh, Free Thought Commission?